Okay, so I'm reading right now a question from the new and improved uh, translation of Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologiae. Okay. Uh, this is, the question is whether God is based. Oh. Um, so, objection one. It would seem that God is not based, for a thing is said to be based insofar as, as it is dangerous or capable of violent displays of power. But God is called the Prince of Peace by Isaiah the prophet. Thus, God is not dangerous or capable of violence. Therefore, God is not based. Fair. Uh, but then the other respondeo, I respond that not only is God based, but he is his own baseness. For the word based is accompanied by an implicit origin or cause. As, for example, a man is said to be based insofar as his radical way of life is based on some underlying power or mm -hmm. principles or beliefs. It is this implicit origin which causes the indomitable courage of the based man. Hence, the operations and qualities of a base man are the effects of his baseness. But God contains within himself the origin and cause of all his operations and qualities. And both the operations and qualities of God are evidently based, bro. For his operations <laughs> include such wonderful events as the incarnation and last judgment. And his attributes include omnipotent power and omniscience, which is totally based, dog. Therefore, God is clearly his own baseness. Furthermore, if God were based, um, were based but not his own baseness, then he would lack the actuality of some quality and re would receive that quality from some prior being. But no being is prior to God in any respect, for he lacks no actuality. Hence, he is his own baseness. Therefore, God is preeminently based. Preeminently based. Preeminently based. And the response to the first objection was, when God is called the Prince of Peace, he is not to be understood as lacking any power or capacity for violence. Rather, God is the Prince of Peace insofar as by his omnipotent power, he maintains peace. If he wanted to, he could annihilate the universe in a moment. He could go full-on Oppenheimer. Um, all right, let's see. And Based. then, we got, yeah, for real, for real. We got objection two, real quick. Uh, further, this is, you know, the people who think, those silly people that think God isn't based. Objection two. Further, it seems that the word... swine. <laughs> what did you say? Uncultured, Uncultured swine. Uncultured swine, yeah, dude. They're Theologically not... inept in every way. Yeah, dude. They're not red-pilled, bro. Um, objection to further, it seems that the word based should be said only of things ignoble and evil. Mm -hmm. For Aristotle calls ignoble things base, which is another form of the same word. But nothing ignoble or evil can be said of God, therefore God is not based. That seems pretty strong, That's right? Etymologically, base and based seem like almost the same words. But then you have this witty, witty reply. Um, the words based and base are terms as... Con Did I say that right? The words based and base are terms as contrary as the words chaste and chase. And this is evident because it rhymes. <laughs> For just as a cha oh, chaste man does not chase women, because his passions are rightly ordered, mm -hmm. so also a based man does not do base things for the same reason. Therefore, one is properly said to be based insofar as he operates according to noble principles. And not only does God operate according to noble principles, but he is the noble principle of his own operation. He is his own baseness. Um, yeah. Wow. So that's just a little bit from... A little bit of a dive into, into Thomas Aquinas. Right what there. what what part was that from again? Uh, I think that's the prima pars because it's, it's dealing with with God it's uh, himself. His attributes. Yeah, I mean, the, it's <laughs> a new Gen Z translation of the of the prima uh, pars. Yeah, I, you wrote that, didn't you? Yeah, I, I have too much time on my hands. <laughs> but uh, you know, look, it's it's one of those really niche things. We have like this. A lot of people have a very weird and niche sense of humor in my college, mm -hmm. and it partly comes from the subject matter that we spend our time reading. For example, we read uh, Thomas Aquinas a lot. Right, yeah, And yeah. so it's it's as weird and freaky as this sounds, 
it's actually not super uncommon for people to make up like little sumo articles. So bizarre. Where they write out because for those of you who don't know the Summa Theologiae, it's just it's this whole compendium of basically all these questions and answers on mm-hmm. everything theological. Yeah, it covers kind of everything the Catholics believe, and it's super cool, super based. But um, really, it it follows this very consistent format where there's questions, there's a response, and then there's replies to all these individual questions. Yeah. And so people at my school, because we're all weird, or we're not all weird, I'm, I'm pretty weird, um, but a lot of the people there are yeah. weird, will write out like fake little articles where they follow the same format. And pff, I think after we were doing a bunch of questions on whether God is unity, or whether, whether God is like one, or yeah. simple, or perfect, I was like, is God based? I don't know. We got we got yeah, to hash this out. You have to look at that. Yeah. I uh, one of my seminarian buddies, Hank, showed me one of these pseudo sumo articles. Um, it was uh, whether or not, or whether naps are necessary for salvation. Mm, that's uh, tough. What did he? What did he decide? Uh, the conclusion was yes. Uh, really? Yeah. Wow. It would. It would seem that, um, according to the Psalms, that God bestows His gifts on His beloved while they slumber. Um, Saint Joseph was given um, his, his com- visions while, yeah, yeah. while he was sleeping. Joseph in the Old Testament was shown prophecy through his sleep and vision. Um, so it, it would seem that our vocation is revealed to us in sleep, mm-hmm. and sleep is how we, or vocation is how we live at God's will, and living at God's will brings us to heaven. So I see. It would seem that naps are necessary for salvation. Wow. Um, yeah, man. If you if you want to live out the the call to holiness. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, naps is the way to go. That's, that's, that's Gucci. I'll take that. Yeah, right. No, I, I don't any mind. more excuse, if you can give a fake sumo-looking article to tell me that I should go take naps, amen, bro. Yeah, bro. Even without a fake article, exactly. you will oh, happily I'm, take naps all the time. Oh, absolutely. Even in the middle of our conversation sometimes. I have definitely done that. Or even in the middle of you talking. Sam, Sam is incredible at falling asleep. Like, like I think there have been times before where you have been like kind of mid-sentence and then it just oh, yeah. trailed off and I was like, hey, bro, hey, or you, what were you about to say? And then, no, you're just, you're out. You're just asleep. I've I'm done like, that oh. to multiple people. That's incredible. Yeah. I've done it plenty of people too. Uh, yeah, it, late it, at night. But. Yeah, exactly. Well, so we thank Thomas Aquinas for his, uh, his work, mm-hmm. uh, what he has given to us, you know, theologically, philosophically, and that we can still partake in the fun. Yeah, of exactly. It. But honestly, just to talk about Saint Thomas Aquinas, um, the example of his life is more than just what the Summa has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he even said uh, near the end, he had a mystical vision. Um, I think during a private mass, he was saying at one point, near closer to the end of his life. And he said, after that experience, everything he had written up to that point seemed like straw. Wow, um, that's crazy. And he's, you know, like the most pr- profound, prolific Catholic theologian. In history. Yeah, so yeah. to say, oh, that's all straw compared to his mystical vision is to really show that, well, theology was and education and instruction or teaching whatever was what he felt called to and what he was supposed to be doing. He realized, or it, it's clear that he, that was there was so much more mm-hmm. to him than that, that... Um, prayer and clearly love of Christ Mm -hmm. and the sacraments was what his fundamental, you know, goal was. And that, so, you know, when people talk about Thomas Aquinas, I think they often forget that he also 
was so much more than a philosopher or a theologian, mm-hmm. yeah. and that he is Saint Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Um, Not Dr. Thomas Aquinas. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Even though he is a doctor of the church, but yeah. Well, he I mean, is a doctor. Yeah. 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 According, but. He was an example of virtue. Mm-hmm. There's one wild story that you've probably heard, like that kind of, um, you may have heard, I don't know, but it, it kind of shows or reveals uh, an instance of his chastity. He, he mm-hmm. had a lot of virtues. Yeah, yeah. But particularly his chastity, this is kind of a weird story. Yeah, it is. But his family, I don't think they wanted him to be a priest or at least a Dominican. Definitely not a Dominican. They didn't want to be Dominican, right? So they locked him in his room mm-hmm. and like they w- didn't want to let him out. And they sent in a prostitute yep. to go into his room and tempt him. I don't know how messed up a family you have to have Wacky, uh, to do that. That's for sure. But <laughs> the, so the prostitute goes in and uh, and Thomas Aquinas, he goes to the fireplace, gets out like a log that's burning and chases the prostitute out yeah. of the room with it. Like that's, that is the definition of base. Agreed. Um, but he, he like absolute sigma. He just chases her right out of the room. And then immediately after that, I think for the rest of his life, or immediately after that, he was like, kind of had this vision where like angels took care of him mm. and like wrapped this kind of belt around him. And for the rest of his life, I don't think he had a single like temptation wow. against purity. So like his, his virtue was amazing. And that's obviously a big gift from God, but it is just amazing. I heard a similar kind of thing where, um, or another little uh, tidbit that kind of reveals his depth of virtue was... I think uh, at the end of his life, he received, you know, his final confession before dying. And the priest who had, like, the confessor who had heard his confession walked out, I think, with with tears in his eyes. And he's like, in all of his years, like, he never committed sins worse than, like, you know, a six-year-old or a little child. Mm, Wow. So he was just an incredibly pure and innocent man. What an example of of holiness for us. And that's what what the saints are is those who lived what we're all called to. We're all called to be saints. We are all called to be saints. To be, for one to be a saint, or for the Catholic Church to name someone a saint, is to say that it's someone that we know undoubtedly to be in heaven. Mm-hmm. And since we're all called to be in heaven with God, he calls us all to be. We can choose to do that or not, right. but we're all called to. He's, all, he's calling us all to this to heaven, that therefore we are all called to be saints. Um, and the way to be a saint now is to pursue holiness and to mm-hmm. live holiness. So, um, and actually the catechism of the Catholic church talks about the call, the universal call that we all have because mm-hmm. of our baptism. When we are baptized uh, and brought into the church, we, ha- we want to receive a duty actually, which is to continually grow yeah. in our faith. But we also um, now have a, almost a, a mandate mm-hmm. um, to, to be perfect as their heavenly father is perfect to grow in that holiness. And the catechism of the Catholic church actually says, um, in paragraph number, let's see, I have it pulled up here. So I'm not pulling this off the top of my head. Um, but in paragraph 2013, um, all Christians in any state or walk of life, any state or walk of life. So not just religious and priests, nuns, Mm -hmm. whatever, or just parents, adults, you know, all Christians, so even children, are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. All are called to holiness. Um, This spiritual progress tends toward ever more intimate union with Christ. This union is called mystical because it participates 
in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments. And there is no holiness. This is really important. I want to flesh out all these things I'm saying. I just want to put them out now. Yeah. There is no holiness without renunciation and spiritual battle. Wow. Um, that's hardcore, the last, yeah, the last yeah. line. And that's what the saints exemplified so strongly was, one, not waiting around for a certain state of life. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, I mean, some of the saints started in one place, like Augustine, you know, like oh, yeah. crazy. Or St. Paul. Yeah, but once they, you know, heard their calling or, you know, found what they're supposed to be, they didn't back down and they, they kept forward in it. Uh, all are all are called um, to perfection, and that that progress only occurs through renunciation. You have to let go of something and spiritual battle. So, um, yeah, I just was wondering, Nate, if you wanted to talk about any particular saints that you have found to be inspirational in that regard, or who you think maybe exemplify some of those things well. Yeah, most definitely. I think one of the big saints that comes to mind, and he's just one of the hugest saints in Catholic history, is St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was amazing getting to visit Assisi this past yeah. winter yeah. and see just the beauty of the place where he grew up and feel the spiritual presence of him and Claire. It's, it's just incredible that a man was so influential spiritually that now, uh, you know, almost a thousand years later, you can still feel... Yeah. The strength of the spirit kind of moving just in the hills where he lived. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess what, what's amazing to me about St. Francis of Assisi is how radically he did exactly what you described, which is renouncing the world, renouncing, mm-hmm. renouncing attachments and temptations, and giving himself wholeheartedly to the gospel. I think a lot of people nowadays diminish the spiritual intensity of St. Francis. Mm-hmm. He's sort of been appropriated, I think, in a lot of ways uh, by people who want to live uh, sort of spiritual lives that are maybe bohemian or uh, out of step with, you know, normal culture or kind of countercultural because, of course, he was countercultural. Or or people who kind of use him as like this grand model for environmental exactly. stuff. Right. I mean, yeah, some people speak as if he was like the first hippie. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and really, I mean, you look at St. Francis, he loved nature. Yeah. And yeah. he was in favor of peace. But that's about where the similarity to hippies <laughs> ends. It That's literally as far as it goes. He, In other, way, other ways, he would have uh, probably thrown up at the sight of, you know, a lot of the progressive yeah. things that came out of the hippie generation, a lot of those those ways of living because his life was just completely uh, set on imitating Christ. And it was so incredibly radical. People, people speak of him yeah, as this great pacifist, this like kind of gentle, nice little guy. That's why you have all these cute little statues of St. Francis and random people's gardens. Mm-hmm. But he, he was not a cute guy. He was not like this, this sweet old little man. Yeah. He was in, he was a maniac for Jesus in a sense. Yeah, like yeah. He, he was insanely, um, committed to ascetic practices, particularly where he would mortify himself. Like uh, for one big one being he would like throw himself into thorn bushes. Mm-hmm. Um, he dressed so simply that it was incredibly uncomfortable clothing. You know, he would sleep, I think on the ground often. Yep. Um, and he would allow himself basically no earthly pleasure whatsoever. Um, and so, yeah, it wasn't like he just led a simple life. He led an intentionally difficult life 
so that he could unite his sufferings to the sufferings of Christ. And he had he went to on one of the crusades uh, and he, he went to the holy land mm-hmm. with one of two purposes he said it was either to die a martyr or to convert the sultan mm-hmm. um, neither of which ended up happening but he actually did meet the sultan yeah um, who was amazed by him he... yeah who was like who is this this guy um right. and you know, again that just and he was he went through tons of hardships to get there mm-hmm. um and it it just doesn't make any sense uh, that if he was the kind of person people seem to say that he was, that he would not have done any of that. Absolutely. But he was so, like you said, radically focused on becoming more and more like Jesus, mm-hmm. which is what holiness actually is, is becoming in conformity to who Christ is. Be perfect. Like, again, I said, mm-hmm. as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, what does that mean is to let ourselves actually to be perfect does not mean we perfect ourselves, mm-hmm. but our, let ourselves be perfected into the image of Christ. Absolutely. And Francis did all of these things in order to let Christ then break his walls down and, and perfect him. Yeah. I mean, he so imitated Christ and, and strove to imitate Christ spiritually that it even left its mark physically. You know, he, he was a stigmatist. Yeah. He, he had yeah. the wounds of Christ uh, on the cross and it, but you're you're so right. He he did live radically and not um, peacefully in the sense that a lot of people nowadays understand the word peace. Yeah. He was committed to zealously to preaching repentance, you know, mm-hmm. like and kind of overthrowing the decadent, sinful culture that he lived in. Um, it's it's kind of funny. I think one of the clear ways in which it's shown that Saint Francis has been misappropriated nowadays is that maybe his most famous quote is something that he didn't even say. Yeah, you know, yeah, people right. always say, oh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and necessary w- use words. And that whole phrase has yeah. kind of become the anthem of like, basically don't judge other people, just like live a good life in some vague way. But St. Francis never said that. He preached the gospel by his life, definitely, because yeah. he was crazy right. and radical, but also very much through his words. Exactly. He was very much in favor of the doctrines and kind of the, the most rigid <laughs> expression yeah. of Christianity. Exactly. So yeah. he was he was an incredible man. But. Yeah. So he's a fantastic example. Um, you know, it's funny when you said you, when you said stigmatist. I was the other some of the other people I was thinking that are strong examples: Saint Catherine of Siena, who was also a stigmatist; mm-hmm. Saint Padre Pio, also, also a stigmatist. stigmatist. I didn't know Catherine uh, of Siena was. Yes, she had the marks of the crown on oh, her okay. head. So not in the hands. Uh, right? Yeah, not not all the wounds. Full stigmatists. I don't know how many there's been. I think there's only been a few. Okay. Um, like maybe three or four. But she had uh, marks in her head. A thorn. Yeah. And she, oh my gosh, I love St. Catherine of Siena. She was a powerhouse. Yeah. Um, and, and she died so young, too. Mm-hmm. So again, like what the catechism says is all Christians are called at any state of life. So when she was like seven years old, she'd already decided she wanted to be a nun. Mm. And... Her family was kind savage. of mixed opinions on it, you know. Her brothers kind of treated her like, well, that's like, yeah, you're the holy one, Catherine, like, mm-hmm. sure, whatever. Um, and her parents, especially her father, was like relatively okay with the idea, but still not sold on it. Yeah. Um, but she entered a, a tertiary Dominican uh, convent with like these super, super strict old nuns who really? basically said like, you're not going to make it. And she totally showed them up. Awesome. Um, but she, where she lived in Siena, it, during that time, the plague was just like ravaging Europe. Mm-hmm. And she 
basically single-handedly saved her town. Uh, she really? went around um, ministering to all the sick. And way, way, I, I don't know if anyone died that year in the plague or if there was, there was way less. Um, but it was because basically her prayer during the entire time. So while she was working and ministering with her hands, renouncing any ties to like, you know, a long life mm. um, and an absolute spiritual warfare. I mean, yeah. who, it's not just a physical battle to walk in to, to like no, take care oh, of a totally sick not. dying person. There's a spiritual torment. It's a mental battle. On. Yeah. Um, and the, of course, Satan would be tempting away from those kind of things, mm-hmm. but she, she kept going and saved her town. Then she basically kept peace between at that point Italy was just a bunch of city states it wasn't any kind of unified country yeah and the duke of venice i believe was ready to go to war with the duke of florence mm-hmm. and she basically single-handedly negotiated peace terms between the two of them that's amazing and then also the pope at that point was not living in rome he was living in avignon or... yeah avignon in france and she basically just persistently berated him to basically say you have got to stop being a moron. Go back to Rome. That's where you're supposed to be. The church needs you there. The church in Rome needs you there. It's gone chaotic. Mm-hmm. What are you doing here in France? And she died, I think, when she was... Tw- I'm pretty sure she was only 24 yeah. when she died. Uh, and she did... Or 33. It was, it was very young. It was one of the two. Yeah. It's like She was one yeah. of those saints. If you're a mystic, it's either 24 it's... or a 33. Exactly. You know, one of those. Um, and, she, but, and then she would also... I just, I just love so much about her she would basically not eat anything ever um slow key just you know like you know whatever and when she received communion she would immediately go into ecstasy oh my gosh and they would have to carry her out and they would lay her on the steps of the church until she like woke back up which would sometimes be hours later um see these are the freaking dope things about saints that make them a little bit untouchable non-relatable like it's amazing how cool that is but it's also like dang but that's like I, i've never been anything close to that yeah but, but that's that's what like actually living out holiness now can look like could really be yeah yeah, yeah. If, if we really took sainthood and our responsibility to be holy seriously those things are not you know astronomically unbelievable of happening True. um those things are possible if we truly surrender our wills to God, which mm-hmm. is just ultimately the, the this essential to holiness is yeah. to say, I cannot make myself holy. Only God can make myself holy. Mm-hmm. I desire to be holy. Therefore, I surrender everything to God. Mm-hmm. And you're surrendering everything to God, but still in such a way that you can re- retain your own unique identity. Yeah, exactly. And God will bring that to fulfillment in the most beautiful way possible. Cause one of her most famous quotes of St. Catherine of Siena, and unlike the quote I brought up about yeah. St. Francis of Sisi, yeah, this was actually, actually said by yeah. St. Catherine of Siena, um, uh, where it's uh, be who God, be, be who God created you to be. And you will set, set the, the world, world, abl- world on fire ablaze. Yeah. yeah. So basically, yeah, you don't have to pretend to be someone else. You can live your identity and, and live in the temperament that God has given you, but in accordance with holiness and you will do incredible things. Um, and what's so also cool to me about St. Catherine of Siena um, is that she kind of completely shatters all uh, misunderstandings about women's role in the church. Mm. Because a lot of people say, oh, well, come on, why can't you just ordain women? Like, we should yeah. have women deacons or we should have women priests. And then, you know, as soon as 
there's negation of that as there should be because obviously we the women are meant to be priests or like that's the priesthood is not that's not the role for them yeah um people are like oh that's sexist that's patriarchal like if you won't allow women to have any power in the church like that that's that's terrible but saint catherine of siena is a prime example of how like a position or a particular office does not equate to power and vice yeah. versa yeah, she was yeah. not the pope she was not a priest um she certainly wasn't a bishop or anything like that but she was arguably one of the most powerful people in the entire church at her time. Maybe the most powerful for some time. She, like, told the Pope what to do. Yeah. Like, literally, the vicar of Christ, the most important singular man in the church. And he listened to her. Mm -hmm. Just this woman from Siena. And so, like, just the fact that you have a title or an office does not mean you have any power. And on the other hand, just because you don't have a title or you're not ordained as a priest uh, doesn't mean you lack any power. Mm. She had an incredible spiritual power just because she like live she she lived in accordance with uh god's will for her life and so she was able to accomplish more incredible things than any of the men of her time even though she was not yeah. ordained yeah exactly um, so it's just it's just amazing to me that that proves you don't need to be ordained to be incredibly spiritually powerful yeah yeah but yeah um any do you have any others or um well yeah i mean i could go the I mean, list on I, there's, there's at least what like ten thousand there's canonized yeah. saints uh I could go on and on. I guess to think about, so she was, you know, a nun and St. Francis obviously started an order. Um, so again, that kind of temptation is like, oh, well, they were able to do those things because they were religious. Mm -hmm. um, then dialing back, it's like, well, no, uh, Carlo Acutis, who is a, a blessed right now, who only died in 2006 um when he was what 16 mm -hmm. um so he would He'd be, be our sister's age yeah exactly italian kid uh loved soccer playing playstation yeah. normal literally yeah. a playstation 2 is going to be a i mean it is a second class relic for him I yes <laughs> um but what was he yeah he had those things that he loved and did but what did he really focus on and it was the eucharist mm -hmm. jesus that which he says, he has a quote that says, you know, when uh, we sit outside in the sun, we get tan. But when we sit in the presence of the Eucharist, uh, we become saints. Such a simple quote, but that's so beautiful, actually. And he, he recognized that. That's why he spent hours in front of the tabernacle and hours in front of the monstrance, mm -hmm. in front of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and desired other people to do the same. Mm -hmm. So he created a website where he documented Eucharistic miracles throughout the centuries from throughout the world, showing people that the Catholic's belief in the Eucharist is not just something we concocted or some unverifiable thing. Mm -hmm. um, that not only is it theologically and philosophically sound, but it is also rooted in a physical reality. Mm -hmm. That there is tests where, like, they tested hosts that became to look like flesh or that bled. They tested them and they were heart tissue yeah the blood that was tested was the same blood type um from the blood type that they found on the shroud of turin mm -hmm. when they test the heart tissue it's tested as one who is in distress it's it's particularly i think often the dna comes up as yeah a middle -aged... one thing the heart tissue is is that of yeah, a middle-aged man and under extreme duress and the dna is identified as belong to like middle eastern origin yeah. so it's i mean it's incredible and I, i've even heard i don't know if this is completely true i, I think i've heard the dna and all the christian mir miracles around the world uh is the same yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. it's mind-boggling to me that these are so little known like you would think 
the Eucharistic miracle is this powerful and scientifically proven, because these are proven by scientists who aren't even Catholic. They're yeah. atheists, so they don't have skin in the game in a sense. Um, they, they've objectively proven that there is, in fact, something happening in the Eucharist where it's becoming the flesh of a man. Um, somehow, that is very little known, and it's like not like it's not commonly uh, spread at all. Yeah. You would think like every priest would talk about that at Mass. You would think like mm, yeah. all Catholics would know about these miracles, but they don't. And so, you know, it's in, the Eucharist is just such an incredible thing that we take for granted. But I, I love that quote by Carlo Acutis that when we sit in front of the Eucharist yeah. in adoration or just in, in the real presence in any in any capacity, we become saints because that is the source and summit of our faith. That is literally God itself. Um, and the more we spend, time we spend with God, the more we become like him. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately what saints are is human beings that have become like God. And so Carlo Cutis, I think, also recognized what you're saying. is like, how do not people not know this? Um, because he recognized that, just like you said, um, that which you love, you will be with. Mm-hmm. So if you love God, you will be with Jesus in the mm-hmm. Eucharist. And when he is with you, if you love someone or love something, you both change them and they change you, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it's, it might sound weird to say, like, we, we don't change God, right. right? But he certainly is changing us. Right. Um, and so he just wanted to draw more and more people. He mm-hmm. wanted other people to be saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not only that we should desire our own sainthood, but we should desire that all those around us also become saints. And yeah. for the role of parents, that's actually not only something that they should desire, but it's actually required it's according duty. to the canon yeah. law that they, parents, for that spouses work for each other's salvation mm-hmm. and for that of their own children. Mm-hmm. Priests are responsible for all of the people within their uh, fold. It's intense, bro. Um, I don't know. That it's makes a me a little nervous when I think yeah. about becoming a priest in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but that sainthood is supposed to multiply. Usually where you find one saint, there's another one very close. St. Mm-hmm. Francis and Claire. Um, St. Catherine of Siena. And I know one of the other... Uh, like, is it another Dominican? Probably. Yeah. In yeah. that same time frame. Yeah. You know, also saint. Right. Um, so... Yeah, Carlo Cutis, he's just, he's becoming more and more well-known these days. Mm-hmm. And he was a patron saint at World Youth Day when I was there back in August. That We had we went and visited uh, a church that had a relic of him, which was super cool. Sick. Was it the PlayStation? No, no, no. no. It was it was a first-class relic. <laughs> oh, legit. Yeah, yeah. Dang. I think it was, like, you know, some kind of th- finger, you know, because we just, we're kind of weird as Catholics. We Catholic, just like Yeah, Catholic life's cool, apart. but like subtly weird. It's like, wait, Maybe hold on. It might have been a hair uh, follicle, you okay, know, not something right. as aggressive. That's not weird but, at all. Yeah. yeah, but still, still. That's awesome. Um, So, yeah, just, and he, what an inspiration he is be- to lay people, because mm-hmm. he was not ordained, he was not a priest. He mm-hmm. was not a religious. He was a teenager. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, young and then people. a youth. Yeah. Right. Children, teenagers, young people. We can be saints mm-hmm. too. We don't have to wait around uh, to be like, well, you know, when I'm in my fifties, sixties, then I'll start thinking about this. Right. No. No. Uh, sainthood is is not something you decide to do later. It, it's right. not like a job that you change. It's a calling. And if you miss this calling. You miss eternity. Exactly. Um, and one of my favorite... Yeah, you don't want to miss that bus. Favorite quotes from... All-time quotes is from St... I believe it's St. Therese. We are talking about sainthood. She said, um, either be full of saint or no saint at all. There is no such thing as half saints. I like that a lot. 
Well, yeah, I mean, in the end, we know in eternity, after the final judgment, there's only going to be heaven and hell. And oftentimes we can spend our lives thinking we're kind of riding the fence, like being a little bit indecisive, like, ah, you know, maybe I'll try a little bit of holiness and maybe a little yeah. bit of sinfulness. But in the end, there's only going to be one one path um, that we can, like, or there's only going to be one destination that yeah. we will attain. Um, and, yeah, let's hope it's heaven. Let's, like you said, not just hope that we ourselves get to heaven, but let's try to get everyone there Around with us. us. Let's let's yeah. bring as many people to heaven as, as we can, like Carlo Cutis did, and like so many of the saints did. And just your last point, which you said, like people being on the fence about these kind of things, uh, hearing more recently this idea that the devil owns the fence. You can't oh, be yeah. you can't be on the fence it's when the, it comes the to, wide road. Yeah. yeah, when it comes to holiness. Yeah, uh, you're not like oh well I'll choose these things every now and then but I'll choose. Uh, but I'll choose God this time. I'll choose myself that time. Yeah. If you're on the fence, you're going to fall into the wrong exactly. side. Exactly. Being on the fence isn't a way to heaven. It's just a lamer way to go to hell. Yeah, yeah, right. If you're going to be, a, if you're going to go to hell, at least like party it up. But like <laughs> people on the fence that sound like Luther almost. I know. I, I'm, I'm kidding. But like the point is, is like, yeah, like you're saying, yeah. if you're on the fence, you're Luke going warm. down the wrong path. Revelation, you know, Jesus says the lukewarm, I will spit out my, my mouth. I would rather that you were cold or hot. Mm-hmm. Um, so not wow. to scare you, no, everyone yeah. needs to like, but that's just should be incentive that right. sainthood is not something to be taken lightly. Is there something you should desire seriously? But it also, it's not like, oh, well, I guess I have to be a saint. This, this is the greatest thing you could do. Mm-hmm. This is what will actually make you happy. St. Catherine of Siena, St. Francis, St. Blessed Carlo Acutis, all these, all these saints that, you know, we couldn't mention now, but they didn't just do these things because they're like, fine, I'll do it but because they loved it mm-hmm. and they loved Jesus. Um, and there's nothing else that makes life worth living. Yeah. I mean, exactly. if this isn't your goal, then nothing else is going to actually satisfy you for long. And, but yeah, I guess we're, we're wrapping up of course, but just, we can end on the positive note that this is, can be a source of joy. Yeah. And it's just, it comes down to, like you said, uh, it shouldn't be a source of fear, but it is a, a calling to responsibility mm-hmm. and to not procrastinate. Cause as yeah, people yeah. like Carla Cutis show, um, like it doesn't matter what state in life you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Um, dive into like holiness. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to think like, oh, well, you know, right now I'm going through a phase or like, maybe I'll think about that later. You know, maybe when I'm like older, I'll be like some great dad or like, or father or, or priest. Like, no, just start being like Christ now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or absolutely. else you never will be. And so if you're really not sure how to start on this road, you know, what does it mean to be holy? How do I live holiness? Well, don't look far. Just the lives of the saints. Mm-hmm. I mean, any of them you could read. Yeah. But, you know, if you're like, well, which one do I choose? What's what's an interest you have? Mm-hmm. And find the patron saint of that interest. Yeah. And what's a career goal you have or what's the career you have now? Or maybe what's something you struggle with? If you have anxiety or depression, St. Dimphna is the patron saint of those who suffer from mental illness. Mm-hmm. Her story is incredible. Right. Um, you can uh, go by patron saints to find, exactly. find the saints. Yeah. And model you know, yourself out of after that saint. Mm-hmm. Um, or just learn how did they go from who they started to be to who they died as. Because guess what? Other saints did that too. Yeah, Ignatius exactly. Ignatius Loyola, one of, the, one of the other greatest saints of our church, he himself had a messed up life. Until he was stuck in a hospital and he had like nothing to read. So he's like, well, here's a book on the lives of the saints. I guess I'll read that. So he read that, learned, oh, wow, there there are these amazing people who are living lives devoted to God. I should do that too so I don't go to hell. And boom, he embarked on this amazing path that led him to help millions of other people over time. multiplied. And a bunch of, I mean, saints. He was a saint, you know. Exactly. So it's okay if you're not living the best life right now. 
the lives of the saints is a great way to learn about how you can. Yeah. So go read about a saint. Yeah. So and Homework. and grow to be one. I should probably do that too now. Yeah. Okay. You should too. Well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of All Good in the Brotherhood. And through the intercession of all the saints, uh, we b- wish you a very blessed and a happy day. And a very based day. Peace out.